Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. This week, I am once again honored and once again so incredibly excited to uh, bring you a conversation with adventurer, explorer, ultra endurance runner, um, Ray Zahab. Uh, I got the opportunity um, about a year ago, I think, to interview Ray for the show and Ray was always someone that was on my list of dream guests. Like when people ask like who, if you could talk to anybody for the podcast, who would you want to talk to? And from day one of doing it, Ray was on the list. Uh, I am kind of just in awe of some of the expeditions he's been on. Um, and also just his uh, resilience as an explorer as an adventurer, um, and the variety of challenges he's taken on. Um, This episode is a great example of just this wide variety. Uh, We're going to talk about two expeditions Ray has taken on recently, uh, along with, I think he sprinkles in stories from all sorts of different adventures he's had. Um, But the main focus is an expedition he took last summer in Death Valley, during the hottest temperature ever recorded in Death Valley, which is absolutely stunning, absolutely fascinating. Um, and I don't want to spoiler alert anything. So that's one expedition. And the second one is one he just got back from a few weeks ago. Uh, it was exploring Ellesmere Island, which is an island off of the east coast of Canada, kind of in between Canada and Greenland. Um, and that he did that in the in the midst of winter and just the challenges and obstacles that he faced there with it being super cold. So you got on one hand, something that's the hottest ever. Like, here's the thing I was trying to tell Ray this and I hope it got, I got the point across, but like one of the things that I'm in awe about is Ray is in a really, really, really small percent of humans who has experienced some of the hottest temperatures on earth and also experience some of the coldest temperatures on earth all while trying to do this really hard physical task right it's not like he was in death valley like just sitting there or standing there or trying to hide in what non-existent shade there is right he's like pushing himself he's pushing his body to the physical limits in these extreme environments and really like i mean there may be a few other people on earth that have done things like this in those temperatures, but I have to imagine Ray is in a very, very unique and very, very rare group who's experienced 130 plus degrees while also experiencing negative 70 while also, you know, physically exerting themselves in these environments like that is mind-blowing that is wild he's an explorer of both the internal like what he can push himself to do how his body reacts um and he's also an explorer of the external like what is this environment like in these incredibly harsh uh, conditions like what what does it feel like in the Arctic when the sun barely rises. And he'll talk about that in the episode. Uh, it's awesome. And I haven't been able to stop thinking about that since he brought it up. So um, so I am very honored to talk with Ray again. Um, honored that he 
he wanted to come back on the show. Uh, he's helped helped me a lot over the last year. Um, we've had a lot of discussions um, on the phone about you know various undertakings, um, both creative and like you know physical challenge and stuff like that. So uh, beyond honored, like definitely one of the best things that has been brought to my life because of this podcast is being able to meet these really inspiring human beings. Um, and Ray is definitely one of those inspiring human beings. So hopefully you guys listen to the episode. Hopefully you're inspired. Hopefully you go out and seek um, something that just brings joy and brings excitement in your life. And also I think adventure is all about expanding your capacity. And when you're out there and you're in conditions that aren't ideal, they're, they're pretty harsh, that's expanding your capacity for being able to realize that you can not only handle those like external challenges, but it also makes you realize like, oh, internally I'm a lot stronger than I than I ever possibly considered. And I think that's the gift that adventure brings. So um, hopefully Ray inspires you like he's inspired me. Let's go. Let's get into it. Uh, this is Like a Bigfoot podcast number 295 with the great... Ray Zahab. I am beyond honored to have you back on the podcast, Ray. Um, I'm super excited to hear about some of your your most recent expeditions that you've taken on. Um, but I I think I said it in the first podcast, like, dude, you were on my list of like dream guests, like way back in like the first week of me doing this podcast. So, dude, I appreciate you coming back on. Well, uh, dude, I, and I have to say it's an honor to be back. And ironically, I it's a, been a dream to be on the podcast the first time <laughs> I came on because I listened to your podcast and it's a great podcast. So I really enjoyed being on there before the last time. And gosh, yeah, it's, it feels like it's been a while, but a lot's happened. Obviously, a lot has happened. Since, you know, in both our lives. Uh, yeah. since you, you know, you were off doing the race in Texas, I think. Uh, I haven't done that one yet. yet. No, man. No. Okay. Oh, spoiler okay. alert. <laughs> Spoiler for sure. What's, <laughs> what's the deal with that? It was a cancel. No, I'm good. It's going to be for next year, possibly. It's for next year. Okay, next yeah. year, possibly. Okay, great. Well, that's good. That's good I'm to know. For Here it, I am. Man. I'm interviewing you now. I'm Heck the interviewer yeah. now. <laughs> well, yeah. I was just asking you if you were over winter at this point because I've been following your oh. most recent expedition. I'm like, man, are you just done with snow? You know, it's the strangest thing. People ask me all the time you know and i'll and i have to do one of these social media posts about it but which do you prefer the hot or the cold and you know i do prefer heat i like to be warm but then you know i'll be in a desert like the middle last year when i was in death valley in july uh like i had done a north to south with my buddy will laughlin in 2011 completely off-road in summer it was 124 fahrenheit it was brutal um and we said, okay, we're not, we're not ever doing this again. And then we came back subsequent to that to do multiple projects in Death Valley in summer. And then last <laughs> year we had this harebrained idea that we would go back there and retrace our route and uh, just clean up some of our navigation and some of the things that we've learned over the years and have a grand old time doing it. And um, we happened to be in Death Valley in the hottest 24 hour period ever recorded on the planet That's or something. I mean, it's bonkers. like when they broke their record. In Death Valley, it was like not a survivable heat, dude. And so when I was there in that heat, I was thinking, mm, I don't like heat so much. I mean, yeah, so it, it's always relative to the place that you're 
that you're in. Now, you know, obviously I was just up in the Arctic in literally one of the coldest places on the planet in winter. It was, um, you know, minus 50 every morning. Um, and it was frigid at night, as one can imagine, the relative humidity was 90%. And so everything is kind of damp all the time. And it was uh, brutally cold. I mean, I was on Ellesmere Island. Um, for people, if you, you know, flip open your Google Earth or whatever it is that you use and open it up and look at the highest, go like right up to the North Pole, look at that island right up there. That's, that's Ellesmere at Northern, in Northern Canada. And yeah, so I was up there on expedition and um, attempting um, a, you know, sort of midwinter, if you will, crossing uh, overland of Ellesmere self-contained. And we, as you know, after a few weeks on the land, it became abundantly clear that things were not going exactly as planned. We have a lot of experience in the Arctic and we know that you don't mess around when things aren't going right. Like, I mean, you just don't take chances because there's no second chances when it's you're in a place that's so remote. And so we had to pull the plug and um, we learned a lot. It will be back next year. We're going back uh, yeah. actually in, in less than a year from now, we'll be back up there uh, with our friends, the Inuit uh, that live in the community, collaborating with them to complete the expedition. But suffice to say, I mean, you're in a place where, you know, Arctic wolves walked into our camp. You know, it's polar bear tracks everywhere. Um, it's an unforgiving environment where wildlife, a lot of the wildlife, other than the Inuit hunter, the indigenous peoples that live there, the wildlife has not really seen a lot of people, yeah. obviously. And so, um, yeah, you know, super difficult, super, super difficult place to be, to be having anything go wrong. You know? Yeah, man. Well, I want to know, well, one, those are the two expeditions I really want to hear about today. Um, and I'm super psyched to just, cause, and I think I, I might've messaged you this, like you've experienced temperatures and obstacles that 99.99999% of people just haven't experienced before. Like you've like on both extremes there, you know? Well, I think what's interesting, you know, in the context of the expeditions, first of all, why would I be, you know, most of the, for example, that we talk about Death Valley, most of the Death Valley projects that are going on you know, fastest known times, et cetera, are justifiably in a different season, right? <laughs> They're in, you know, yeah. it, 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 nobody's like, it's, it's dumb to go into Death Valley <laughs> in July and August. But the reason that I love being there and, you know, I've crossed uh, the Gobi Desert in Mongolia, it was over 2000 kilometers in the middle of summer, crossed the Atacama Desert in Chile, which is 800 miles, did that in summer. Patagonian Desert crossed it in summer. The Namib Desert in Mongolia, or sorry, in the, the Namib Desert in uh, Namibia, obviously, and from South Africa to Angola, that was 1,850 kilometers in the middle of summer. The reason I like going to the deserts in the summer and the Arctic regions uh, in the winter is because I love to experience those places when they seem to be their most, I, I don't want to use the word extreme, but they seem to be their most uh, alive by definition. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. when we think of Death Valley, we think of the hottest place on earth. So I want to be there when it's its hottest time to experience and see uh, what what exactly that means and share that with, with students that, well, when I was in Death Valley, obviously school is out, but gather content or share with students so that they can experience those places in those extremes. And there's wildlife 
some uh, death valleys full of wildlife yeah living in those extremes i mean we can barely make it and <laughs> and survive in the in the wildlife thrives is the same thing in the arctic and so I, I i want to be in these places but the way the the you know i did a i did an arctic expedition in january 2020 in the eastern canadian arctic and it was the coldest i've ever been for sure and it was mine. The winds were in wind chill. So the real temperature was probably about minus 55, minus 60. But yeah. the wind chill with the wind chill, geez, dude, you could probably get to minus. It would feel like minus 70. Wow. Like it was just crazy cold. So and, uh, but the way that the sun was just barely, because it was the dark time of year, the sun was just barely coming to the tops of these mountains. It's a very specific feeling. So you're crossing through a valley between these mountains on Baffin Island. And it was just previously 24 hours of darkness. And I arrived in January at the time of year when the sun starts to come up. So you've got like this few hours a day of like a dusk-like light. And the sun, it just, it's struggling to get above these mountains and peak over these mountains. And you can just see like a wisp of sun. And what that feels like and looks like when it's so cold out is extraordinary. How, how vital the sun is, yeah. you know, to us as human beings. And you really like, I, so being there to, to feel that and, 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 and see it and, and witness it and experience it and then share it is, is, is why I do these things in those, you know, in those sort of opposite extremes. But that again creates a series of, difficulties and hazards in trying to complete these things yeah right and so i've done i don't know 30 expeditions and i've been successful with most of my expeditions but i've had some that haven't gone my way for various reasons one of them was climate change um the, the there was an early spring i was on an arctic expedition there was an early spring all these river systems were open it was in russia and i was unable to complete it with like literally 100 miles to go but you know other times like in this expedition there's a series, a collective of things that just you're working so hard to try and right the ship and you just can't. And, you, you know, like you had written something to me, which was super interesting. I'd never seen it before. And I just think it was so compelling for people that were following along with the expedition. And it was that, you know, the acronym for fail that you said, and I, I think you said it was, uh, there's no failure, but that fail stands for, I got uh, it. first attempt, first attempt in learning. Yeah. Right? I do that in, as, so, as a teacher. That's what I always tell my students. It's like, so great, dude. Yeah. It's such a great thing <laughs> because when we do things that are hard and challenging in times of years that are really hard, you know, maybe it doesn't go well, but I choose to do things for me personally and for, uh, you know, our team or the schools that are following that, you know, I choose the terms I've chosen those terms. So I got to live with it. Yeah. And so if I'm not able to pull it off, then it's how you and what you learn from it to go back and try again. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So it's interesting. You That's know? awesome. I want to ask about like when you have that realization, just specifically like of the sun peeking out and just what that feels like. Is that something going into the expedition that you're like, oh, I can't wait to feel what the sun feels like when it barely comes up? Or is that like a realization in the middle of it where it's like, whoa, this is mind blowing. Like, I never thought I would have this kind of like uh, experience. 
Well, I mean, it, it, it just, it, it's always depending, right? It, it, it changes all the time, right? And, and the meaning of each expedition changes also when you're out there. I, you know, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. This expedition, for example, like, you know, when we were on this uh, Ellesmere expedition, the goals that we had, Kevin and I, when we first set out to do the expedition, became much different than what they are now going back. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's been a shift, right? And so we don't want to change our or alter our route too much. And we don't want to change the time of year that we're going. As a matter of fact, we're going earlier next year. And that's going to require an adaptive process. So, you know, you're out there and you're thinking, what am I doing? But at the same time, you're thinking, wow, I'm learning so much. It, it's, there's this sort of, you know, constant back and forth that you're going through, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that is, I love the idea of an adaptive process and even like the fact that goals can be adaptive as well. Yeah, absolutely. Cause that's what it's about. Right. You know? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, it really is. That's totally what it's about. And I, it, it, you know, as you are a teacher and you're mentoring young students, you're always trying to get them to adapt and learn. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's no. the way of the human being. It's, it's how we do it. You know? That's so amazing. I, okay. So take me, I just want to, I want you to try to describe since, like I said, barely anyone has had the experience of being in death Valley. when it's like the hottest temperature ever on record there, which is so crazy to me, but can you kind of try to describe like, what did that, that he, I guess let's focus on death Valley expedition for a second. You guys went out there. What were you, what was your mission out there? What was your goal? And then tell me about that heat. Well, in Death Valley, so in Death Valley, um, you know, our goal, as I had said before, was just to retrace our original route north to south, right? Yeah. Which has been done many times since. Um, we were one of the earliest to go north to south completely off-road, if not the first to go completely off-road north to south. But it was, it was it, the way we did it the first time, I mean, we suffered greatly <laughs> trying to figure out a route and, and know exactly, you know, how we were going to do it and what we were going to do. Um, and we had a lot of help from Marshall Ulrich and others uh, who are, you know, experts and legends in Death Valley and putting together the route. So then we've done, a, we, since then, we've done a west to east. We've got north to south to the water basin. We've been done multiple projects in Death Valley, like I was saying, in, in the summer. So we, we were sort of prepared in all these other deserts that I've crossed and, and Will's done many other projects uh, in the interim. He crossed the Mojave also in another, uh, another year in summer. So we thought, well, let's just go back, tidy up our route and our navigation, go north to south exactly the same way we did in 2011. It's been a long time, right? That's 2011, so it's 10 years ago. Yeah. And, um, you know, see what we come out with. And honestly, like we, we at the north rim of Death Valley National Park, which I think, if memory serves me correct, is about 6,800 feet, 6,700 feet. Uh, normally it's about, 75 degrees up there like it's cool cooler right and so it was 110 up there when we started <laughs> and we were like okay this is like gonna be insane and it just progressed to the point where you know we were obviously doing it supported resupplied every about 20 kilometers or so yeah. it, it worked out to every 20 25 kilometers because that was really the only way we could access people at roads we would come back up like you know at these various points, like Mesquite, uh, the, the Death Valley Wash goes right past the Mesquite 
campgrounds. So it, that made it accessible, right? So we would get there and dude, we would get all this water and everything that we were drinking and it made no difference in cooling. And when we hit that daytime heat, which was at its peak, uh, getting closer to stovepipe, we realized that it didn't matter how much we drank, how much we tried to cool our bodies, uh, that it was just no longer a survivable heat. I think that day at Furnace Creek, they recorded 134 Fahrenheit. That is Whatever it was, it was the day of the record. Crazy. That and is so crazy. I remember, yeah, it was insanely hot. Like, when we did it in 2011, I think it was a, it was in the 120s. Okay, it was the hottest it got. It, it was also a heat wave in 2011, randomly. I don't know why. Anyhow, you know, <laughs> it was a heat wave that, but it was like insanely hot, but you could find a way around it. This just kind of felt like there was no escape, that this was just not survivable. At least it wasn't for us. Yeah. And we I'm imagining like, like mm, yeah, like the cartoon version of you, like trying to drink water and as it drops, like going to your mouth, it just like it evaporates away, you know? Oh, yeah, dude. It wasn't even like, it wasn't even like how much can you drink? It just was not, um, it was not at all, it, 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 like, I, it, like, it was so stifling. Like the water would not cool your body. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like drinking, your body's normal cooling processes did not work, yeah. you know? So, That's, yeah, that is wild. Well, tell me about this too, because, you know, you mentioned when you're cold and then you have wind chill and it's even colder. Um, but I, cause I experienced, I don't know if this was the same weekend, but we were out filming uh, the stage race in the desert and it got to like 116, which was the hottest I've ever felt. Cause then I remember I talked to you on the phone afterwards and you're like 130. I'm like, whoa. Um, <laughs> but talk about the wind because wind it's, it's crazy that the wind actually makes it feel hotter when you're in the middle of the desert. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. No, no, for sure. The wind it's like, it's like, um, it's like, uh, what do you call it in, um, in the in the in the winter like the, the wind chill effect that you get right mm -hmm. yeah so it, it's the exact same thing is wind chill in the winter but it's but it's the heat it, it, you know like you get that uh wind uh, what would you call it? like a wind burn effect yeah wind it's hotter burn. dude <laughs> it is actually hotter and it just instantly dries you out and you know it's funny that you bring that up because the wind was raging that day too. Like there was huge gusts and they were headwinds. And we had these crazy looking umbrellas. So it's a funny, it's a funny story. So Will, so we get to um, where we were staging from in um, the uh, uh, town of Beatty. Sorry, I lost my thoughts there for a second. Where exactly? So we were in Beatty first and uh, that's sort of where we staged from and get all our gear ready and all that jazz. And Will pulls out these umbrellas like that are made by one of the ultra running companies. I can't remember which one. And it's like a sun umbrella. And it goes in your backpack and it doesn't weigh anything. It's like made out of this silver reflective material. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, mm, I don't know. Like I've never had anything like that before. And he's like, no, trust me, dude. These things are going to be amazing. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. So on that last day, if I didn't have that damn umbrella, I would have died for sure because <laughs> I was using the umbrella in front of me like a wind deflector whoa because it was just so hot 
Like it was so hot, it was scalding. Yeah. And so, you know, you're out in the middle of the Death Valley Wash. So when we finally realized, whoa, this does not feel right. Like it wasn't right. It wasn't just, oh, it's really, really hot. And let's keep going. Like we've done many times before. It was like, this is not, this is not right. Like my, my gut instinct, my survival instinct or whatever inside, like DNA thing was saying, you can't live in this heat. Like you cannot survive this heat. So we beelined it out of the wash to a point where we could get picked up on the road. And I don't know what that distance was, probably two miles, but two miles through really rocky, gnarly terrain. Yeah. Right. So very slow. And I was using that umbrella to deflect the heat, <laughs> like, like a desert Mary Poppins. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. Can you talk a little bit? Like it is important to trust your gut, you know, and there's this weird balance where as an adventurer, I'm sure, you know, you have to be able to kind of like be on that edge of like, this is too much versus like, you can't always just quit when it gets hard, but there's that edge where you do have to like end up trusting your instincts. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, I, I honestly feel like you become more, you know, I'm, I'm not getting any younger. I'm 53 and I've been doing this for a long time. And um, I've, I've always tried to remember and I've learned this from my friends in the Arctic, from many of my Inuit friends when I'm doing expeditions up there over the years, is that you have to first respect the environment that you're in, mm -hmm. that we're just visitors in that environment. You know, so whenever I've gone to any of these places, like the Namib Desert, we took some big risks, Stefano and I, when we did that expedition, or when I did the Atacama Desert solo, I took some really big risks in pushing in that heat. But I also, at the same time, respected the environment to know that this is a dangerous place, beautiful place, but dangerous. And I need to be extremely careful in how I um, conduct myself. And that I also, I have a family and I'm not willing to die yeah. uh, to prove something, you know? And so um, I'm willing to push myself as hard as I possibly can to try and achieve what my goal is. But at the same time, it, there's just this, it's a, like, it's like an autopilot thing where my body just says, no, and just, I just know, yeah. you know what I mean? And I think that that's just time and experience. Yeah. It's yeah. the one thing you get with age is experience, <laughs> <laughs> you know, may not yeah. be getting any faster, but hopefully a little wiser. You know? <laughs> I love that. Uh, you said, so, um, you kind of, you wrote kind of a, a post about the Death Valley expedition. And in it, you said our greatest lessons come from our greatest challenges, which I do feel like ties into this growth mindset, like the first attempt in learning kind of deal. Um, can you just speak to that mindset a little bit? Yeah. So, so, you know, in Instagram or Facebook, it's a post at a time or Twitter, whatever. It's a post at a time. It's a snapshot into someone's life yeah. in, you know, 200 or 300 words or less. But, you know, every person that you see on there lives a very complex and diverse life. And every day, the minutia of the day can change who the person is or what the person is. When I'm on these expeditions and they're going really well, for sure, you learn from it as well. And, and you know, you learn a lot of skills and you achieve your dream or your goal. But in the times when you're really challenged and you're really pressed, no matter what it is, 
yeah, you know, whatever constitutes the challenge or the pressure, that's when you really learn things about yourself or about how you, you know, will tackle the next expedition or whatever, right? It's those times of pressure and sometimes defeat where you walk away. If you're willing to be humble about it, you're, you'll take the most from it. It doesn't seem, it never seems like it at the time. I don't know. There's like a bunch of athletes. I think maybe there was a quarterback or somebody uh, or a basketball player that talked about that, you know, that in defeat, you learn more in those moments than you do, than you do when things are going really well. Yeah. For obvious reasons. It's just at the time of defeat, you're like radically bummed, you know, but then after you contemplate and think about it, you know, you start to say, well, you know what? I learned this X, Y, Z, you know? Yeah. Which I think is important though. Cause like some people in quote unquote failure or whatever, like they tend to avoid that. Like now I'm just not going to think about it. That moment sucked. I lost the basketball game. I'm just not going to think about it. I'm going to put it out of my mind, but I feel like they're missing out on that lesson part. Like you have to embrace it so you can actually grow, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think also though, young people these days, moreover for young people, they're bombarded with social media, with messages of nothing but success and many times unrealistic success. Yeah. So they very rarely with their peer group hear about things not working out. You know, and, and if it is a things not working out message, what's the solution, you know? So, uh, it, you know, I think that it's really important um, that young people for, especially for young people that they get to see and experience failure in a way that they can grow from it. Like yeah. uh, we're very, very lucky with our daughters, with the, spring kayak racing and with the uh, biathlon racing they do and uh, you know cross-country ski racing that the coaches are you know parents and we're very lucky to have people in those networks that get these kids to really understand hey it's not a i mean look you're in a race so yeah it's about the results but it's not about the results if you know what i mean at this age like at 13 and 10 they're learning that you know if you didn't wax right, you're the last kid to get in, yeah. you know, like wax your <laughs> skis. It's a, it's a thing. You have to wax your skis in cross country ski. And so do you know what I mean? Or if your yeah. gun's not sighted right for biathlon, you're not going to hit the targets. Or if you there's just a, the list goes on and on. And if at a young age, people can learn that coping skill, it's better. So in adventure, when you're on an expedition or for people like all your listeners that have done an ultra marathon or a trail race or whatever, and it doesn't work out, well, they probably learn more from what didn't work yeah. than they ever did from what did work. So next time, you know, they're bonking and they realize, Oh my God, I'm never drinking that hydration formula ever again. Next time I'm going to drink this. And, it, and, and if they didn't have that failure, they would have never known that, you yeah. know? Yeah, totally. No, that totally makes sense. That's why I don't, um, there was a race I did. I had mold in the little like tube from the uh, camelback. Oh my God. That's absolutely disgusting. Yeah. The woods thought so too, as I use the woods quite often. And so never yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just the woods of North Carolina paid that day. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, man, dude, I totally agree. But I think that's, I think, I think that's what 
adventures and and sports that's that allows people specifically like young people to experience those failures in that really perceivable way where they are able to kind of like I don't know you see see that as a process rather than uh outcome I guess yeah exactly so I mean you know as corny as it sounds I mean you know they say it's always the journey it's not the destination like yeah. I mean, it really is it really is when you think about it you know for anybody that's going let's say they're going to do UTMB for the first time it's everything around the run that makes it so awesome yeah I mean really it is it's everything around it the you know the all the I, I haven't been to UTMB so I don't know but you know all of the stuff that happens pre and and during like this the the the, the festival like atmosphere you know Kathy my wife does the 200 uh, you know she was on your yeah. podcast yeah and she does awesome. all these 200 you know candace's races the 200 mile races and you go to those races and it's like i love crewing those races because you see people you never see other than at those races and everybody's in a great mood having a good old time there's food everywhere it's just you th- that process is just as exciting for her as doing the race right so yeah. I, you know it's the journey not the destination so, yeah right? one if anyone yeah. can speak to the journey it's someone who's been on many many journeys like you have you know well or, or any of us it's all relative right or yeah. any of us that have done uh you know that, that go out and step out of the boundaries in our yeah. lives and try to do something um that's challenging or and and it doesn't matter what it is like yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be an expedition it could just be it could be anything i mean traveling it could be like someone who's running their first 5k let's say and they join a running group yeah. well all the memories they're creating in that process of running their first 5k is life-changing so an expedition is sort of a a microcosm or whatever of that it's a it's a moment in time where very real things that uh, it, you know don't, not mimic i don't know what the word is but that that occur in life on a daily basis yeah. all occur in an expedition you know yeah, I love that. That's so awesome. Oh, I want to hear a little bit about Ellesmere Island, which I'm trying to remember. So as you were doing this on one of the intros to the podcast, I was like, hey, here's some people who have been on the show before and here's the awesome stuff they're doing. And I'm trying to remember if I, I think I might've accidentally said it was an island as a part of Greenland. And as a Canadian, I want to, or I want to apologize to you because it's Canada's northernmost How island. How dare you? I know. I, know. <laughs> I don't know if I no, actually said I mean, it or well, just thought listen, it, but <laughs> maybe geologically, at some point a million years ago, it was part of Greenland. I mean, I'm not really sure because it well, is awfully close to Greenland. There you go, man. I'm teaching geology now. That's my excuse. I was like, yeah, there I was go. going back to exactly. the Pleistocene or whatever. Exactly. 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 So uh, now you're bringing out the big word. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it, but it's sort of beside Greenland, if you will. Okay. And Greenland is huge, as you know. Yeah. You know, it's a big island. Yeah. It might be one of the biggest islands in the world. I'm not sure where it ranks there. But anyhow, um, but Ellesmere, um, well, Greece Fjord is the northernmost or one of the northernmost communities in uh, the world. And Alert, which is a Canadian Air Force base, is the furthest north inhabited wow. around the, you know, 365 inhabited community in the world is alert so that yeah is it's wild. north it's way north it's way north what? and what's interesting about the weather there is it is uh extremely um 
it's very cold on Ellesmere, consistently cold because you're over land in that area. And just with the Arctic air currents and everything else, it's especially cold. But once again, very diverse. You know, there's muskox, polar bears, Arctic hare, um, foxes, wolves, piri caribou, which are caribou, but they're smaller, um, birds of all kinds. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really incredible place. That's awesome. We're, so you mentioned the wolves earlier. Are the animals, since they aren't used to seeing humans, are they more curious and like come in or are they like more kind of skeptical and like kind of stay away? Yeah, it's interesting. It all depends on which of the animals you come into contact with. The wolves that came into our camp, uh, the last few we were out there were curious for sure. Yeah. And they were coming around and I'm sure they probably would have walked around in our camp had we not started moving around trying to get our, like, uh, you know, our videographers trying to get our camera going and all that stuff. They probably, you know what I mean? They probably would have came right up to us. I, I, I had a, I, I shot a little video of an Arctic hare yeah. and it was like, literally, uh, you know, I posted it on social media, but it's hard to tell, but I was literally three yards from it you know and it's like this arctic hair that's never seen a human for sure and was wondering well this guy doesn't want to eat me you know (laughs) whatever like i have no idea what i am right there's muskox out there and now i mean obviously with some of the wildlife you you know you learn from the inuit you have to you have to totally respect the polar bear because polar bear is the apex hunter on the planet and they're everywhere up there so you don't mess around if you see a polar bear like if you saw any of the videos i posted there's polar bear tracks everywhere you know and um yeah i've seen polar bear tracks and uh, and polar bears in other regions of the arctic at different times of year and uh it's they're huge (laughs) like they're like the size of a minivan it looks like (laughs) i mean that's a bit of an exaggeration but they're huge you know i mean i'm sure when you see them and you're just out and about and you see a polar bear it probably does appear the size of a minivan. Oh yeah. It's like, it is like totally terrifying, you know? (laughs) Well, how, I mean, is that in the back? It has to be in the back of your mind throughout because you have to be aware of it, right? Like that as a danger. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a danger for sure. And it's something that you take into consideration. But at the same time, it doesn't become, it can't become, it can't consume you. Yeah. Because if it consumes you as you, you know, you'll never go into the back country there. You know That's, what I mean? Yeah. Like you do the best you can to prepare, but at the same time, you can't fear it, you know? So. Yeah. What yeah. was, you mentioned the goals being like an adaptive process uh, with this one, especially what was the goal I mean, what's the, what was the purpose behind the expedition? Well, the, pur- the purpose uh, was obviously to get from south to north. Yeah. Overland, uh, large part of the expedition in winter. Um, you know, so whew, I, I, we will go back. And I don't want to let any, like, I don't want to say anything That's what, about what our plans are yet because yeah. I want it to be exciting, super exciting for the, like there's tons of schools that are following along. I'm actually yeah. speaking to one of the school groups tomorrow virtually. And That's awesome. I don't want to give it away, but we are going to be working with our Inuit friends to pull this thing together oh, and, cool. and go again next year. And um, 
yeah, I mean, we have, we have a lot of experience doing this stuff. You know, we've been to the South Pole in world record time, unsupported. Uh, we've been uh, across Lake Baikal, Siberia in winter, Kevin and I, uh, doing an average of like uh, 50K a day. So we know how to move swiftly in cold conditions with heavy loads. Yeah. But this was just different, dude. This was just different. So I'll leave it at that. That you know, I stay love tuned it. on that one. But you know, we, we are we are going back. You know? I love it because that guarantees a third podcast, Ray. It has to. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so to kind of wrap up, because I know we both have you know, we're busy family men as well, you know, uh, and I know you have to pick up your kid, but I want to, I just am really curious about this. Um, I've been talking a lot in my leadership class about the idea of core values. And we've tried to like figure out what our core values were and stuff like that. Um, I just was wondering, like for you, speaking of the different roles that you play in your life, do you feel like you have different kind of core values you focus on when you're in the moments as dad versus when you're in the moments as adventurer athlete um or do you think those values just are interchangeable between both roles so are you are sorry so you're asking me do i think like when i'm on these expeditions as a as an explorer or as yeah. a dad am i am i sort of combining the two roles when i'm thinking about you know uh, it, it's an interesting question. It's actually a really good question. And it probably could do a whole podcast on just being a dad and, and doing what it is that I do. And, yeah. you know, but for me, I always wanted to be a dad. Yeah. And now that I'm a dad and, you know, I see my daughters doing their own things, like, for example, the spring kayak stuff that they love to do. That's not something that Kathy and I do. I mean, like, do you know what I'm talking about? Like when I say yeah. spring kayak, it's like what they do in the Olympics with the K1 boats, the really skinny, skinny boats in the flat water that are impossible to balance. Like you have to balance them by paddling, right? <laughs> and so they love this. I have yeah. no interest in going into the water and doing this thing. But this is their, this is their, their, they love doing this in the summer besides trail running. This is their sport. So when I'm away and I'm on these expeditions now at the age I'm at and where they're at in their lives, I find the most difficult part of my expeditions is being away from my family for extended yeah. periods of time. Yeah. Far and away, it's the most difficult part of what I do. So when I'm out there doing these expeditions, I'm thinking, you know, obviously I want to go home, right? So I'm trying to be as safe as I can possibly be. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, you know, I'm trying to do something that is inherently risky. And so I try to apply experience to the decisions that I make when I'm out there. So I'm not necessarily, I'm not risk adverse, if you will. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm willing to take the risks, but I'm also very understanding of the price of foolish risk. Yeah. You know, if that yeah. makes sense. No, that totally makes sense. I, I love that. That's, I mean, and that's huge. And it is important for people to understand because, you know, even on like small adventures, I'll do where I head out into the wilderness just for like a morning or something, you know, in the back of my mind, there is this idea of like, um, like I'm dad also, like I, in it's, you want to kind of put it almost not aside, but like compart compartmentalize the word I can't ever say compartmentalize, uh, like, you know, where you're like, 
I'm out there in the wilderness. I want to enjoy that as like, this is the moment I'm in like being present, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, man. I, okay. So last question, I'm very curious about your answer to this one. Um, I've done this on a few podcasts now. Um, so there's this awesome, uh, writer, just creative dude, just an amazing guy, uh, Brendan Leonard. Uh, he writes the blog semi rad, which I don't know if you've read, but you should, it's, you would love it. Oh, yeah, check it out. I'll it's check it so out sure. good. He's so good. Um, but he put together this periodic table of adventure. Um, and I have it hanging up in my office. And so there's all sorts of different elements, you know, just like a periodic table would have. Um, but I've been asking a couple of people, like what, if you had to put an element or two elements or whatever on your own periodic table of adventure, like what are the elements of adventure that you really connect to or, or relate to? Well, if I'm understanding the question correctly, um, you know, a big part of it for me is the, uh, with exploration is not only what I'm learning, it's who I'm meeting and who I'm learning from when I go to places. Cause literally wherever you go, you're going to meet and connect with people in the world, you know, initially, let's say before you go into the back country, yeah, yeah. You, you've, you've got to arrive to somewhere to a destination in order to go out into the back country. So it's the people that I learn from connect from the relationships that are built that to me far outweigh the expedition itself. It's the people that I've come to connect with and call friends all over the world that um, really have been one of the greatest elements for me of, of any adventure. So it's not the adventure itself. It's everything around it, you know? Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's like a perfect way to kind of like wrap up the show here. But Ray, I just, like I said, I appreciate you and I appreciate um, just sitting here talking with you and like picking your brain. It, 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 you're endlessly fascinating. Well, I, and likewise back to that. Yeah. Thank you for, on, for having me on again. And this will we'll definitely stay in touch and uh, yeah, well, I'll keep you in the loop on everything. And you and I communicate anyhow offline. So we'll yeah. continue to do that. Hopefully I'll get to meet you one of these days soon. You Man, know? that would be awesome, dude. Where, where can people kind of like follow your, your adventures? Well, everybody's on Instagram these days. I'm on both Instagram and Facebook. Okay. Um, you know, so probably Instagram, it seems to be where everyone is at. So that's where I would suggest going, Perfect. you know? Yeah, man. What's your, what's your Instagram? Just, just raise Ahab. Just my name, R-A-Y-Z-A-H-A-B. Perfect. Awesome. Awesome, Ray. Well, thank you. I'm looking forward to the next time uh, we chat. You got it, buddy. Me too. And we'll catch you soon. My best to your family. All right. See you, dude. All right, that wraps up the episode. Uh, huge thanks to Ray. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing inspiration, and just kind of letting me geek out about expeditions. And, um, you know, he does such a good job, like, explaining what is going through his mind. Like, he's very good at communication and the communication piece. Because for someone who's had these kind of um, rare experiences you want that person to be able to try to communicate it in ways that the rest of us who haven't been out in death Valley in 130 plus or in the incredible freezing cold, like in the middle of nowhere, like as far away from society as you possibly can get. Um, you want that person to be able to explain that in a way that we can kind of understand. Um, and you can just tell. And I think 
it's just funny like following his Ellesmere Island expedition on Instagram as soon as that dude landed and they put a couple videos out um towards the beginning as they're trying to you know get everything prepared but you could just see a light in him you could see he was excited he was happy he was just you could just tell like you know when you can tell a person's really like living life to their fullest in the moment that's what i saw and that came across in an instagram video which is <laughs> says a lot because sometimes then you know you can't really fully ex express or fully feel what a person's feeling in little 20 second clips uh, snippets or whatever but that came across to me and as he's talking and as they're in greenland they're like looking at polar bears or not greenland oh my god ray i'm sorry canada canada my gosh i don't know why it's in my head that that island is in greenland and i have no idea why but it is not chris it is in canada and i love canada and i should be able to be respectful and <laughs> figure out geography better anyways i caught myself so i don't know if that counts or anything but when he's out up there in you know the arctic in in canada and they're seeing polar bears and you just hear him describing it and he's super excited and like just passionate about it and i know that there has to come a point in an expedition or a really hard task like this or a huge quest where you're just beaten down and you're broken and you know sometimes you your your attitude shifts and a lot of times that has to do with just the conditions you're in or whether you've eaten food or whether you're dehydrated or whether you're beat up or whether it just seems like the momentum has shifted and things are starting to turn. Um, but when you have that actual joy, when that's a part of you, when you're out there, even when it gets hard, you can draw back onto that. And that is a huge, huge, huge advantage and a huge uh, tool that one can use. Um, and I think in the intro, I was talking about capacity. And I think that is actually one of the main gifts that you get by taking on a, a challenge whatever it may be and ray was totally right like it, he talks about all these big expeditions because that's what he's into but you might be into something completely different right or i might be into something completely different um and they still might be challenging right to us individually like a challenge is subjective right people are always going to have challenges that they could take on and they could step up to and when you do, though, what you do is you actually expand your capacity uh, for taking on hard, doing hard things, right? You actually like expand your capacity for finding joy because you're like, oh, remember that joy that I felt during that expedition? Like I could access that anytime. Like I think back to this summer when we were filming the Deseret stage race, I had so much joy. Um, I was so excited, so energetic. I really felt like I was living up to maybe my best self in that moment. Um, and I realized afterwards, like I actually have access to that every day if I wanted to like, and it's all a mindset thing. It's all a, can I shift my mindset to gratitude can i shift it to look around and see the opportunities that are in front of me every day 
um, for positivity and goodness. And when I talk about my core values, I'm thinking about goodness and I'm thinking about enthusiasm. And I wanna, I want to apply that. And I think I've been trying like intentionally, not always successfully, but I've been trying to like take that same feeling that I had this summer in that experience and apply it to other parts of my life, whether that's like when I'm playing with my kids, whether when it's me hanging out with my wife and we have like a date night or whether it's even just like doing chores around the house, right? Like you were able to expand your capacity for, you know, whatever you discovered about yourself through an adventure. And that's why I love it. I love it so much and I'm excited for the summer. I'm already thinking about the adventures um, that I'm going to take take on, whether they're by myself or with friends or with my family or my, my I'm with my oldest kid a lot this summer. Um, and I feel like she's at the age where she's going to be able to start doing some of these adventures, whether it's like a longer bike ride or a longer hike or paddle boarding or whatever. And I'm just excited for it, for to experience that. And I'm excited that I hopefully with this podcast like get to pass that message along like nothing excites me more than when people send me an email or send me a message and like hey i just did blah 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 i just went on my first hike or i just uh you know signed up for a 50k because of your podcast and you know or even i've had people write in that are just like hey i decided to like pick up the guitar and try to learn it just because it's something i've always wanted to do and I love that. I think that's so, that's that's the gift that you can pass on to everybody. Like it's, it's passing that idea on of like, hey, you know, this is why, this is the things that I do in life that I find meaningful, um, but that help me make life seem meaningful. But more importantly, like this is why these things help make life seem meaningful, if that makes sense. Like, you got to go out and share your passion and your passion, the actual passion itself, like whether, you know, whatever. I, I always try to come up with examples. I'm terrible at coming up with examples. Maybe your passion is like making like really badass pizza, right? Like you're the most badass pizza maker of all time. And that's your passion. Well, I might watch you make an awesome pizza and like throw it in the air and like spin around, like do a like flip or something like and then and then cook it and it's perfect and it's like the cheese is crispy and sizzling and all that i'm really hungry recording this um i might watch you make that and i might not actually connect with the with the idea of making a pizza i might be like dude i just i throw that i put it on 425 throw that in the oven got yourself a pizza like i, I might not connect with that but what i personally connect to is is how i see somebody go about whatever the activity is that is the passion right <clears throat> when you see someone who's really into something and it doesn't matter what that something is but they're just loving it and you're seeing that this is enhancing their life in some sort of way that is what i connect to and to connect it back to ray when that dude's on an adventure and or he's talking about it like on a, on a podcast or like a TED talk, you can tell like this is what this guy finds fulfilling about the life that he was given. And I find that motivational. Um, 
because I love seeing people who are just embracing their passions in life and that are loving what they're doing on the day to day. And I think you can pull that in to areas that might not be as exciting because you learned that lesson. You got to see what that was like to appreciate life on this other level. And then you get to come back and now you're doing dishes and you, you have access to it. You know, maybe as you're, as you're doing dishes, you're remembering like, Oh yeah, that's how I was in this other situation like on this adventure or making this pizza right but um and and even though dishes isn't nearly as exciting you're like that's what i was there that's how i felt then and now i can pull that into this like more mundane task because the world is awesome and life is super fun and you have that choice to make you can make it amazing you can embrace it you can look for the goodness Um, or you can kind of fall into the habit of complaining or, or not being grateful or maybe always wanting, like wanting something, you know, that you don't have currently in that moment. And that, yeah, that's just a kind of a different path there. I don't know if any of the last 10 minutes made sense. (laughs) I don't know if anyone was following it. Like someone has like that map in their basement and they have like, they're like putting strings up, trying to like attach these ideas that I just talked through. I don't know if any of the ideas attached to each other at all, but, but yeah. So anyways, uh, thanks again to Ray, check out Ray's, all of his adventures. Um, they're always entertaining, always super fascinating. Um, check out impossible to possible, which is Ray's mission to educate, inspire, empower, um, there's a bunch at their website, impossible. And then the number two possible.com. All right. That wraps it up. We will have to get back at you next week. Uh, can't wait for next week's episode. It's going to be a good one. See you then.